Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Big Recon on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, I'm the Big Recon, and we're going to dive into something that's a little close to my heart. Uh, I have found that my use of social media has been 95% sports and 5% Marvel movies. Um, and then, of course, my work with the podcast here with Facebook and Twitter. But I've recently really started reading more into some of the other stuff that's going on in social media. So in today's episode, we're actually going to touch on a recent event and a couple of things that happened after that event. And then we're going to dive into a very dark place. Um, You'll be surprised where I consider that dark place to be. So this week's episode is about social media and garbage fans who think they know it all on social media. Um, We have a real problem with the sports media and the social media and the culture when things don't go the way we want for our favorite teams or we think we know it all or we think we can do something. These athletes who are either, in my opinion, given an education which could cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt if they didn't get this scholarship or these men who make millions to hundreds of millions of dollars doing it in in the professional leagues there are a great number of people on social media who think they could do it better. Uh, I am a former athlete who never got higher than high school, who had aspirations of going to college and going to play in the pros. And I can honestly tell you, it is not something that is easy to do or else everyone would do it. And every armchair quarterback will be playing quarterback and every armchair GM would be an actual GM. So, In my personal opinion, and I said when I started this show last August, I was going to do this show, my opinion based on fact. And here's a fact. Fans have no business doing what they do. They don't. I'm sorry. People can disagree with me. You can throw the First Amendment at me all you want. But here's the bottom line. A lot of the things that are said after the fact of something going wrong is borderline verbal assault. Now, I'm not saying you can't go to a game and boo an opposing player. I'm not saying you can't voice your frustration at your own team on social media. What I'm saying is when you take it to the next level and people people get death threats, threats on their family, this is where it needs to stop. The biggest issue that I have seen, and it's the most recent one, is a kicker missing a field goal. Now, the most glaring one recently was Cody Parkey of the Chicago Bears. And then the video came out that a guy from Philly got a hand on it. And all of a sudden, it all stopped. And one of the best troll jobs I've ever seen was the brewery in Chicago who invited Bears fans to come and kick for free beer for a year. And the way they set it up, this wasn't just middle of a dome no elements, nothing. They're in the street in Chicago in January with the snow coming down. They set up some artificial turf. They gave them just about as much leeway as a kicker would take in his um, measuring out his steps. And they put up a fence to replicate how high an NFL defensive lineman could jump. And they had a hit from 43, which is what Cody Parkey really just about did. No one did it, to my knowledge. Some of the videos, a guy, unfortunately, who was standing there watching, took one in the groin. 
for lack of a better term, he got a football to the nuts because he was standing there watching and somebody thought they were, you know, capable of making this kick. Mike Golick Jr., who is one of my favorite radio personalities, uh, he tried it and failed miserably. And he owned he owned it. And I think it was great. Of course, his sister works for the Bears, so that's why he was there doing it. The Twitter trolls have decided they have the athletic ability from their cell phone or their tablet or their laptop to criticize people and send death threats or just try to humiliate professional athletes. And this is where I want to get into it with them. When it comes to sports and social media, these are the three things that I have seen. Well, really four things that I've seen. I have seen over-the-top, blind, loyalty, love for a franchise. Now, I am one of those people who can do that at times, but I am also I can also be a pragmatist, and I can say things like, yeah, the Mets need to do this to get better. I think this is the move they should make. But I'm not out there saying Brody Van Wagen is not doing a good enough job because he doesn't make that move. People get hurtful, extremely hurtful, when it comes to what the players perform at. They get extremely critical, and they get extremely angry. Ladies and gentlemen out there, this, in reality, is a... Sports are a a withdrawal from reality for us. We watch them because we enjoy them. We watch them because we love them. I'm recording to you in an Ohio State hoodie. I just picked up the other day, came in the mail. My gear from them winning the Rose Bowl. I adore Ohio State football. I am waiting on bated breath for the next 29 days. I'm sorry. 26 days until the New York Mets report to Port St. Lucie. I stayed up a little late the other night to watch the first quarter of the Cavs game. I love my sports. But I am not going to take a shot at a player or an executive who does something that in the moment they feel is the right way to do it or in the team's best interest. And I don't think it is because I think that the world is just what I want it to be. It's a scary place. There are pockets of people who show the love for the teams, but they're not as prevalent and they're not as reported on as the guys who just go after everyone. As I said before, my personal social media footprint, I celebrate my fandoms. I I promote the show. And I laugh at the hilarity of social media in general. I hook up with people that I haven't talked to in years over stupid things like spelling errors and um, welcoming the new GM of the Mets and things like that. You talk to people. Currently, I'm trying to sell tickets to an event through social media. It's not working well, but I'm trying. So, in my opinion, if you live to do things like criticize and hurt people because it makes you feel better, you're just plain wrong. Now, I'm not saying I'm living my life better than anybody or I'm not living my fandoms better than anybody, but that's my opinion. You can't say you love something and you love your team and you do this if you hate on the players. It's not right and it's not fair. So, there are a few reasons I decided to do this episode because I had originally planned on talking about who... Uh, declared for the draft, uh, diving into the NBA season a little bit. But then the whole thing went down with Parkey, and I decided I really wanted to do this. Um, so the few reasons. The first is that most recent missed kick and what the reaction was to that. Uh, the second, I'm writing 
uh, something on my laptop the other night and I see ESPN pops up on YouTube. I had it on in the background. And Katie Nolan, who's one of the funniest people you could ever see in sports media today, and ESPN did a massive troll job of three college football social media wannabes where they complained about, I could make that kick, I could make that kick. And they brought him down to the college football national championship game, which I'm going to spend a minute on after um, I'm done with this portion of the show. And they set them up to try and make the kicks they were criticizing, and they all failed miserably. My favorite was a man from Louisiana, an LSU super fan who wore the flag as a cape and said he could make that kick the guy missed. And he said, oh, I thought it was short. The kick he criticized was from 52 yards. The guy didn't kick the ball a yard in the air. At the end, they made him apologize. And they had to swallow their humble pie. And they ate their crow. And they did it very graciously. I will give them that. They were very humble about it. Um, do I believe it'll change the way they do things? Yeah, possibly. But it's not the point. The point was to show them that this is not nearly as easy as you make it out to be. And don't criticize players and say hurtful things about to players without knowing that if somebody's going to put you on the spot, you better be able to deliver. But the number one reason that I did this episode is maybe the darkest place in all of social media. Mets Twitter. Hashtag Mets Twitter has trended for a couple of years with the fans because the majority of the people who write through Mets Twitter seem to, in my opinion, want to be Yankee fans. Let's go over this offseason. But let me start here. I bleed orange and blue. There is nothing outside of my family, my wife, my children, my parents, my sister, brother-in-law, outside of my family, the Mets are number one. Outside of the things I have to do to take care of the people I care about, the New York Mets are number one. I play baseball video games, and I create a character. It's my name, and he's a New York Met. Every time. My wife is gracious enough to let me hang stuff in the house. There are two canvas, oil canvas reproductions of City Field in my bedroom. One before they made the changes in 2012 and one after. This is my team. As of February the 14th, my cell phone will ring Meet the Mets. And not the one from the 80s. The original, written in 1961 before anybody had. I have been a Mets fan since birth. And I will be a Mets fan till my time is over. Mets Twitter is a dark place. It seems the majority of the people there think they know how to run a team better than the people who are actually doing it. And it also seems that unless the Mets are sold by the Wilpons, no one's going to like a move the team makes. People need to realize what goes on in the offices of professional sports teams is never reported. There are these leaks that come out, and I use the word leak with the Dr. Evil quotation fingers around it. And there are anonymous sources that always seem to come out that really whip the fans into a frenzy. 
Now listen, are the Mets the most fiscally irresponsible team? No, they're not. Are the Mets in a big market? Yes, but Ron Darling made a good point. Uh, probably, I think it was a week or two ago. Are they really in a big market? Let's be honest. The New York Yankees are an international brand. Of course, the Mets are going a little more international. If anyone watched the trailer for the new Spider-Man movie, there is a Mike Piazza pennant on Peter Parker's wall. So the Mets are going to go a little more international because of things like that. But this is just it. The New York Yankees brand and that NY is known around the world. The Mets NY is not. The Yankees, for lack of a better term, took a handout to build their stadium. The Wilpons and the Katzes wrote a check. And by the way, I know Yankee fans personally who have told me that City Field is a better place to watch a baseball game. Keep that in mind. So we're going to start with this offseason. Brody Van Wagenen has come in and he has been like the man who walks in a bar and knows every woman wants to be with him and every dude wants to have a beer with him. He is the kind of removal from Sandy Alderson who was calculating and methodical, which is what he had to do when he took this team over. Brody's coming in and he wants to make a splash. And he's done that. The seven-player deal for uh, Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz, bringing Juris Familia back to set up for Diaz, which is humongous, in my opinion. The signing of Jed Lowry and Wilson Ramos. Big moves. But the fan base, or a good majority of it on social media, keep saying, oh, Bryce Harper is the only way this is a great offseason. Here's my question. Where do you put him? Oh, you put him in right field. Okay. So when Cespedes comes back, who hits leadoff? During that part of the season... When he's not playing, who do you sit? Do you sit your gold glove center fielder who looks to be healthy for the first time in years? Or do you sit Brandon Nimmo, who is your built-in leadoff man? Or do you sit Michael Conforto, who all the stat projections I've seen is going to be a 30 home run, 90 RBI hitter? How left-handed do you want this team to be? Right now, if opening day was tomorrow, you have left-handed bats if you sign Bryce Harper in all three outfield positions, you have a left-handed bat at first base because as of right now, Dominic Smith is the first baseman. You can't know that Peter Alonso is going to come up and hit right away. I think he will. The majority of baseball thinks he will. But as of right now, Dominic Smith is the starting first baseman. Jeff McNeil is at third. That means five of your eight everyday position players are left-handed, and the only switch hitter in the lineup was going to be Jed Lowry. So why is Bryce Harper a must? Oh, I know, because we want to be like the Yankees. My favorite moment from the run to the 2015 pennant and that World Series, even though the Mets lost, was after, regrettably, Cespedes got hurt in Game 5. Michael Conforto in left, Juan Lagares in center. 
David Wright at third, Wilmer Flores at second, Daniel Murphy or at short, excuse me, Daniel Murphy at second, Lucas Duda at first, Travis Darno behind the plate, Matt Harvey on the mound. Eight of nine players on that field came through the system and made their major league debut with the New York Mets. That is my favorite moment of the last 10 years of being a Met fan. Everybody wants to talk about the Yankees and all they spend this money and all they do is win. The Yankees have won one championship since they started spending money like that. And it's the championship they bought in 2009. The Yankees had the core four, and there's really more than that. The Yankees had the core of Bernie, Jeter, Posada, Andy Pettit, Mariano Rivera. But you have to remember, Paul O'Neill was there since 1993, I believe it was. Um, you had guys like like a Charlie Hayes, like a Wade Boggs who had been there for a few years. Tino Martinez was brought in because Mattingly couldn't play, not because he was a big money free agent. The first big money free agent those Yankees signed was Mike Mussina in 2001. Newsflash, Mike Mussina did not win a world championship with the New York Yankees. He came to the Yankees in 01. He retired after the 08 season. The Yankees won in 2000 and 2009. The core four or five, as I like to call them, were homegrown players who had pieces put around them. The Mets have a better core. A better core than the Yankees ever had. Because you're talking... Nimmo, Conforto, Rosario, Alonzo, and most importantly, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Wheeler, Mats, and Familia. All homegrown Mets. Now you have a 25-man roster on opening day. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You can make a case that nine of the players in your 25-man roster who could carry you to a championship have all come from your system. And there are more. Lugo, Gaselman, uh, Jeff McNeil, if he's as good as uh, he was at the end of last year. And the list goes on. It just seems to not compute because Met fans don't seem to understand. The Mets aren't the Yankees. And signing Harper or Machado may hamstring this franchise into not being able to re-sign its pitching. That scares me more than not having Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. Because ask the Cubs who they would have rather had in 2015. Would you rather have all those bats and really one dominant pitcher, or would you have rather had situational bats and that Mets rotation? Ask the Dodgers. Who would they rather have go with Clayton Kershaw? Alex Wood? Jacob DeGrom? Noah Syndergaard? Zach Wheeler? Stephen Matz? Seth Lugo? Robert Gersellman? This is the pitching the Mets have stockpiled. It's given us one pennant. And if it wasn't for Madison Bumgarner, I really think it would have gotten us to another LCS. The Mets are in the catbird seat when it comes to building a franchise. They have the building blocks. What they need is some luck and they need some health. 
if the Mets could stay healthy, they would be a force to be reckoned with every year just for what they have and all the controllable talent they have. If you want good baseball, let the guys who run the baseball operations do what they do. Criticize for the lack of movement if you want, but don't criticize for the movements they make that make sense. Jed Lowry is a 25 home run hitting, switch hitting, basically Ben Zobris type player. So instead of making Jeff McNeil something he isn't, let Lowry do it. You still have Todd Frazier to back up on the infield or to play third base if you'd rather play Lowry at second and move McNeil around. You still have pieces that make sense and fit where they are. Let's see how the rest of the offseason, spring training, and the season plays out. So if you want overreaction theater, go to Mets Twitter any minute of any day. I could pull up Twitter right now and read you guys something that would blow your mind. Look what the moves actually mean. Everybody said, don't go get JT Real Muto. Don't give up Nimmo and Conforto. One of them's got to sit if you sign Bryce Harper. I hope you understand that. Manny Machado's the guy. What do you do with Ahmed Rosario? A talent who could turn into Manny Machado, who's controllable for four more years. Maybe it's because I'm an analytical type that I don't overreact on social media to stuff. But it seems to me that people just don't pay attention until they, what happens, what they think should happen. Thus ends my rant about social media and sports. So I said I was going to touch base on the, or touch on the college football national championship game. Of course, Clemson with a dominating win against Alabama. It proved three things to me. One is that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a very good quarterback and he's better than I thought he was. And the that's 1A and 1B to that is that the Kelly Bryant move was the right move by Dabo Sweeney. He's a very good coach. Number two, once again proves that when Nick Saban is playing a team that has equal talent, he is a 500 coach. That's not hyperbole. That's numbers. He might be a game over 500, but that's because Georgia does not hand to hang on to a lead. And three, and this is the most glaring. Tua is not nearly as good as people think he is. You hear all the prognosticators all year, two of this, two of that, two of this, two of that. He played four top 30 defenses. He threw more interceptions and touchdowns. He didn't average 250 yards a game, and he didn't finish most of those. And it wasn't because they had big leads. It was because he was getting beat on and hurt and hit. I'm sorry. Two was going to dominate the four FCS team uh, schedule and the bottom feeders of the SEC West every time. But when he has to play Georgia or Auburn when they're actually halfway decent or in a college football playoff, he's not as good as advertised. Had Oklahoma had a defense, I think Oklahoma would have beat Alabama. That's the end.
So we're going to work on the show again. Come back to you next week. We may have an announcement in the next couple of days over something. Um, if we do come back to you next week with the regular show, it will be not won't be till the weekend. Be doing a little celebrating. My 40th birthday is Monday. So, as always, we can be found on social media on Facebook, Big Recon on Sports, on Twitter at BR on Sports One, and we can be heard on Google Play, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. And we will, again, come to you next week. Haven't decided what the show's going to be about yet, but we're leaning toward um, leaning toward the NFL draft ramp up. And in a couple weeks, once the teams get to, to the south and that west, we're going to dive in. And the 2019 Major League Baseball preview show will be either a live event on YouTube or Facebook. Haven't decided yet. Keep an ear out. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good weekend.